right, if the rest of you would please take your copy of the Word of God and let's go to Matthew chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 15 this morning. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. Uh, This is the passage where not only does Jesus do it here, but other places where he sends the 12 out on a mission. And that mission is something that has to do with the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, that's uh, important to us as well. The Bible, from its beginning, is very clear that there exist two options for people in life, and only two. In terms of our relationship with the living God, there's only two options. Number one, the option you can choose is getting blessing from God. Well, that's going to take some decisions on your part and my part uh, to do what God wants us to do, to be righteous and to be holy and just as best we can with the help of the Spirit of God. The other choice is to say, I don't care about God. Who cares about God? I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And the Bible says you're going to put yourself on the other path, which is cursing from God in our life. Now, curse in this sense means this. It is in the sense of torment, in the sense of judgment, in the sense of plague and misfortune. That's what cursing from God is all about. Blessing, of course, is the opposite of those things. Blessing comes because of God's surpassing love and mercy. Without God's love and mercy, we would all be bound for hell because we don't deserve heaven because we're, we're wretched sinners. But God in his love and mercy said, no, uh, I want to I redeem you to myself. I want to give you a way uh, to have, have not curses but blessing from me. Curses come, as you would guess, because of God's great righteousness and justice against all sin and evil. And if we choose to continue in the path of sin and evil, instead of going to the path of righteousness in a personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ, then uh, curses await us. The greatest of which would be an eternity in hell, and then to be thrown at the end of the millennial kingdom into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. It's a fire that is never quenched. People don't die there. They live out in that torment forever. And uh, that alone should push us to really be significantly uh, in charge of ourselves in terms of giving out the gospel and not being afraid to do that, to have the boldness to tell people about Christ. Well, the book of Genesis, because I said this was from beginning to end, the book of Genesis, as a matter of fact, I have in my office a commentary written by Dr. Alan, uh, Dr. Alan Ross, and the book is called, uh, it's about Genesis as a commentary, it says, Blessing and Cursing. And God lays out for people in the book of Genesis, how do you be blessed and how are you going to get cursed if you don't do what I tell you to do? Now, uh, cursing in its ultimate form comes because you rejected God and his salvation. But we can also be Christians and choose God's cursing by simply deciding I'm not going to do what he tells me to do. So Genesis sets up this choice for us at the very beginning of the Bible. And that choice follows through to the end of Revelation. And you see in that book that people's choices all the way through the Bible determine what happens to them and where they're going to go. And the same is true for us. The Bible tells us both how to receive God's blessing, and then it tells us how to end up receiving his cursing. And I'm hoping that everybody in here would like to say, I'm after his blessing, not his cursing, so what do I need to do? There's a choice we have to make in regard to these two. It doesn't just fall out of the sky. God doesn't just, you know, make you do the right thing all the time. He doesn't do that. He wants you to choose. He wants you to choose. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to follow him. Why am I going to follow him? Well, not because I want to make him love me more. That's not possible. But I want to follow God because he loves me. And also, I like the whole idea of blessing. And I don't like the idea of getting cursed. So there's a choice we have to make in regard to these. 
God and his creation was meant for blessing and the blessing of mankind. That's what he was meant for. God did not create the world and design it for the curse. God did not design us to die. God did not design us to get sick. God did not design us to have problems in our relationships. Thanks to Adam and Eve listening to the voice of Satan through a serpent in the garden, then we have imputed or inherited unrighteousness in us from the moment of our conception. We are sinners, enemies of God, estranged from him. We're already on the path of cursing, but something has to happen to change that. And what has to happen is a decision that you make. And that decision is, first of all, to make Jesus your Savior, and second of all, to do what is right because you love him. Every person that has ever lived has to choose which road he or she is going to travel. So I just want to ask you the question, which road are you traveling? Uh, it's hard to tell what road people are traveling on Sunday morning when we're all on our best behavior and doing godly uh, things in the church service, but uh, which one are you traveling? What do you do in secret? What do you do when no one's watching? What, what's going on then? And the bad news, my friend, is that because of the reality of inherited sin from Adam, uh, we are on that path when we hit the ground when we're born, and we have to do something to get off that path. Uh, it's too bad it's not the other way around, where you're born completely righteous, and yet you'd have to choose the curse. Because I think if you were completely righteous, you wouldn't choose the curse, but it's chosen for us. God can save us from the road that puts us to destruction, and he can save us and put us on the other road, the road that we need to be on. Now, I'm saying all that in terms of what these guys are doing this morning, and that is the ones that we, we went through, and we looked at each name, each person of the 12 uh, apostles of Jesus Christ, the disciples, and we talked a little bit about what they did in life. We talked a little bit about how they died. Every single one of them except John was killed for their faith. And so they've set a standard for what, is it, uh, what does it cost to follow Jesus Christ, and it ultimately could be our life. So I want to read, starting in verse 5, Matthew chapter 10, if you have your Bibles open to that spot. It says this, these 12, <clears throat> now remember, Jesus had a lot of disciples, learners. He only had 12 apostles, an apostle is somebody who's sent out. So the apostoloi are those who are sent out to do a mission. These 12, not the rest of all the people following Jesus, but the ones that he chose, this is his inner circle. These are the guys upon whom the back of the church rests and is going to be built. These 12, Jesus sent out after instructing them. So here's his instruction. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter into any city of the Samaritans. So Jesus said, this is a Jewish mission. I want us to go to the house of Israel. I want us to go to the Jews. I want us to reach the people that are of God's chosen race. So don't take a road that leads you to the Gentiles. Don't take a road that leads you to Samaria. And in Samaritan, we have people of mixed heritage. They're, they're Gentile and Jewish. And so Jesus said, don't go there. Uh, go, go to just the, the Jews. So our, our, our parameter for the mission is just Jewish people in Jewish communities. That's where you go. He says, but rather, instead of going to the Gentiles, who uh, are lost, and the Samaritans, who are also lost in terms of salvation, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach. And here's what I want you to preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. You need to do something about the kingdom of heaven. You need to make a choice. 
And then Jesus said, to authenticate your ministry, here's what I want you to do. And he lists for them what it is in verse 8. I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Then he tells them, freely you receive. What did they receive? They were receiving salvation for free. They received the power for this ministry for free. And supposed to give, they're supposed to give that out freely. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for, here's why, the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. All right, another way to say that would be to uh, give it your, your blessing, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, all right, that means do they prove to be godly or is this household ungodly? Do they prove to be righteous or are they wicked? If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, and the mission says uh, the statement is the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then you, uh, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the, in the day of judgment than for that city. So we have 12 guys. They're going out on a mission. The parameter is, I want you to go to the Jews only. The message is, I want you to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is going to take some belief on your part that Jesus is the Messiah and the things that go along with that. And he said, I want you to be totally reliant on the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to be totally about him and him taking care of you on that trip. And so that's what they're going to do. And he said, I don't want you to uh, give your blessing to someone who doesn't deserve it. I want you to bless those who do deserve it. All right, having looked at that, I'm sorry, I have a piece of that uh, greenery up here in my way on the deal. I had to move it. Let's go back to verses 5 and 6. Number one, in your bulletin if you're following along, Jesus is the one who sends us on mission. Jesus is the one who sends us on mission. Could I just say that not everybody who hears Jesus sending them on a mission goes? In fact, I don't know what, what the percentage would be, but I'd say very few people who are called by God to go on a mission actually go. That's a problem, right? That, that's a real problem, because if Jesus sends you, we should go. Well, at the outside, outset of this, uh, this particular account, just so we know, there are many persons and many programs in the world that send people out on missions. And they're not all missions for Jesus Christ. They're not, they're not all spiritual missions, but people go on missions. And we're talking about uh, some of the most important missions here today, and that is missions that tell people about Jesus, missions that give them the good news of the gospel. And all those are by his direction. So if you're sent out, if you're called by God, and he wants you to be an apostle to a group of people, and he sends you to that group of people, then it's the most important mission of your life. And as the most important mission of your life, you want to make sure you do it according to what God calls you to do in that mission. Are you going to do what God is sending you to do? So what I'm saying is that going on a mission without having been sent by Jesus is a worthless mission that does not mean anything and won't mean anything. I know churches that send people on missions, they go and they build something, they never teach the Bible, they never tell anybody about Jesus Christ. 
In fact, they become a burden to the people that are there uh, trying to host them for the mission uh, because especially Americans, I've had missionaries tell me our kids are needy, they're babies, they don't come to work. Obviously, that's not true for everybody, but you've got to wonder, why did you go? What are you doing? It's got to be more than just building a house. It's got to be more than just helping people do things like that. We've got to be there to tell them about the gospel, not just model Christ, but be Christ and share the message. So in verse 5, the 12 men named in uh, verse 4 are now being equipped and commissioned to go preach and on the preaching tour in the region of the Jews. Jesus is very clear. Don't put yourself on the path of the Gentiles or the Samaritans, right? You can't imagine, can Je- why would Jesus say that? Why wouldn't you go wherever he wants you to go? Why wouldn't you go and actually, you know, talk to anybody who's in your pathway And it's because that's not what Jesus was told to do by the Father. He's sending him to the house of Israel first. And what they do with God is going to be a huge issue. Are they going to reject him or are they going to accept him? When God sends you on a mission, he wants you to stick with the parameters of your mission. Uh, What are you actually doing? (laughs) Um, I was actually listening to a pastor at at a cross-country meet years ago. And uh, he was complaining about how things weren't going well in his church. And uh, I just listened as much as I could. And I said, perhaps if their pastor would stick around and actually do uh, the work he's supposed to do, he wouldn't have this problem. Uh, He didn't answer me, uh, but he heard what I had to say and uh, went somewhere else. If you're going to go to a mission, do the mission. If you're going to be there for Christ, be there for Christ. And that's what this whole thing is about. And that's what he wants them to do. And if you're sent to this people group, then, then do that people group. This mission Jesus is sending them on has parameters that enhance the, the well-being of the Jews. It is a great idea when Jesus sends us on a mission that he has determined for us that we stick with the mission that he has, as he or, has ordained it for us. Many men have set out to be pastors in the pastorate. And they go to pastoral mission fields, if you will, that Jesus didn't send them on. Number one, he didn't call them to the ministry. Their mom did. They're normally firstborn males, and so they have that issue of, uh, I'm going to make the family happy and do what mom and dad want me to do. And uh, I just was talking with a pastor the other day, and he was telling me it's appalling how many men go into the ministry, and they don't even last five years and they're done. Not, not just with that church. They're done with any ministry, and they're done with church altogether. And they're dropping out like flies. And they crash and they burn in a short time. Why? Because it wasn't Jesus that sent them. And if it was, they're in complete disobedience. And that's a problem. In verse 6, the target people then are the sons of Abraham, the Jews. I look at Matthew 15, 24. And we want to talk about that issue. Jesus was sent to them, and that's why he's sending his guys uh, to them as well. Matthew 15, 24. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, that didn't mean Jesus didn't help Gentiles now and then. He did all the time. But his main ministry, what he focused on, were the people that God sent him to get. And guess what? That is the Jews. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 11. We're going to look up a few verses this morning, so I hope you're ready for that. John 1, verse 11. It says, He came to his own, meaning the Jewish people, and those who were his own, the Jews, did not receive him. And they rejected him. 
And that's all a part of the big plan of God in terms of bringing uh, salvation to the Gentiles and to us, like uh, we call ourselves the church. And it was, over, it was overt rejection by Paul, the Apostle Paul, by the Jews that caused him to say that from now on, he would no longer be wasting his time with the Jews, but he was going to be uh, sent to the Gentiles. And I want you to see that in Acts 18.6. Acts 18.6. This is Paul. Uh, this is about Paul. But when they resisted and blasphemed, this is Jewish people, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. And uh, just to go along with that, in, in terms of what we're talking about there, uh, look at Acts 13, 46. Acts 13, 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it, so it's the Jews again, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So we call Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. We call Peter the apostle to the Jews, because those are the people groups that they went after. It even says in uh, Romans 1, uh, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, Listen, for the Jew first, and then to the Greek, then to the Gentiles. The word for lost, when he says the lost house of Israel, indicates someone that is not where they are intended to be. It is somebody who is separated from a normal connection, Jews with God, and that's what he's talking about. They're, they are God's chosen people, but they deny his ownership over them. Now, we can deny Christ's ownership of us by not accepting him as Savior, or we can accept him as Savior and deny his hold on us and say things like, well, God, uh, who are you to tell me what I'm going to do in life? <laughs> uh, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. What we pray about is, God, would you send me where you want me to be, where I can have a mission field? And I think that's the, that's the genius of what God does because Every single one of you is in a different place in town. Some of you work together, like at the school and stuff. But God sent you there. If, if that's your mission, that's where you're supposed to be. What are you doing in that mission field, wherever you're at? And that's the issue. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus sends his ministers to preach the message while, while he authenticates their message. So in verse 7, the command for them to go out and preach is a specific message. And here he's given the topic of the message. It's going to be the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, that's identical to what John the Baptist said in chapter 3, verse 2 of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's also what Jesus has been preaching, according to chapter 4, verse 17. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, if you hear the message, the kingdom of heaven is near, you should do something about it. Uh, I am convinced as a pre-millennial, pre-tribulationalist that uh, the tribulation is near. I don't know the day, I don't know the hour, I don't know when, but everything that has to be done before the tribulation is already done in our world. And I think we are ripe to be caught up at any time. Okay? So uh, the tribulation, the rapture of the church, I think is near. Now that's a message that we should do something about. And what we should do is, you know, uh, really put ourselves to the task. Really work hard at, at the ministry God has given us. And do it with all seriousness until he takes us out and, and uh, we have no more time that we can do that. 
Well, as far as this message, if Israel were to accept it, uh, this king would come into his kingdom, and he would have used them to bless the world with the gospel, uh, but they didn't accept him. In verse 8, Jesus will authenticate their message as they go out, as the Holy Spirit has been uh, authenticating the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I just wondered what you would think if you could imagine going out on a mission field or going out into your mission field where you're at now and being given this kind of an arsenal, a spiritual arsenal to use to reach the world uh, with our message. And there's some people today that believe that all the miraculous sign gifts are still being given out and still being used by the Spirit of God in that way. I don't believe that, but I do believe God can do miracles like heal people, like raise them from the dead, like heal the sick, you know, no matter what they have. But I don't think people are given that particular gift because I don't see it anywhere in the people that claim to have the gifts. It's not like the New Testament. And I think 1 Corinthians 13 said those things would come to an end. And what remained is faith, hope, and love. And then there's lesser gifts, like gifts of administration, gifts of help, uh, gifts of uh, other, other things, uh, pastoring, gifts of loving. And uh, those things are still for today. They're not the miraculous sign gifts, but these guys have it all. They're going out, and they're going to be doing the things that Jesus has been doing in his ministry. They have a complete good news message with amazing power at their disposal. I can't imagine having the Lord promise you or me that he's given us his authority to do these things in our mission. And yet there's people that say they have that, and they're leading people astray from the gospel, which is not what that's meant to do. Look at this. He says, raise people from the dead. Heal the sick, including leprosy, which is one of the most uh, nasty and untreatable diseases of their day. Cast out demons while you're at it. In other words, now... Even though a person is given a right for a demon to be in their life, they have the authority to walk up to that person and say, you get out. We don't have that authority today unless they take that right away for the enemy to be in, the, in, their, in their life. We can't just tell the demon to leave. It'll laugh at us and play games with us, and it'll stay. But they had that power. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine that I, I thought I was chaplain last week. Turns out I wasn't. <laughs> it's this week. So anyway, but just imagine... In my ministry, if I could go to the hospital and just empty the place out and just use the power of God and say, you know, you're healed today. Just get up and walk, right? You're this, you're that. And, and uh, I don't know what our doctors would think if everybody started walking out of the hospital healed. <laughs> they, they have to have a job, right? Okay. So maybe I'd pick a few and say, no, nah, you just stay here, okay? Who's going to make that choice, right? And all of this was without deception and shenanigans that we see today in some churches. These ministries get so enamored, the ones that are uh, all about miracles and, and claiming God is doing things that God really isn't, that they don't touch the gospel message very much. But for the disciples, everything is in this toolbox. Imagine that. And I don't want you to think that it's just smooth sailing for them. And we're going to learn this next time. Uh, because they weren't completely successful. And you've got to wonder why. And the answer is faith. By the way, just because the Spirit of God doesn't do those things as a matter of gifting does not mean the Spirit of God isn't still the most powerful being in the universe. And you have that Spirit indwelling in you. And you have that Spirit helping you with your ministries. And whatever he wants done, he can do. 
And if he wanted to heal somebody or raise them from the dead, he could do it. And I want you to remember that that's the same spirit that you have in you. If you know Christ as Savior, that's the same spirit that is guiding you and helping you in your ministry. Our problem is we tend to grieve the Holy Spirit through our sin, and that keeps him from working through us. Well, it's not smooth sailing for them. We'll learn that. And if you're going to carry out a mission for Jesus, friends, you will encounter opposition. You will. And it's not going to be easy. We are to give others what was freely given to us. And I guess the question for you and I is, are we giving it? Are we giving it? In verses 19 through 15, our mission demands complete faith, and it will cause separation among people. Don't think for one minute that there's a way to stand for Jesus and at the same time be loved by everyone. That isn't possible, and Jesus said it wouldn't be. In Luke 21, 17, he said, you will be hated. Uh, there's a clearer statement of that. I mean, that's a pretty clear statement, but it's a clearer in terms of the amount of verses. In John chapter 15, verses 18 uh, through 24. This is what Jesus promised his disciples, and we are his disciples, and so it's for us. And so in, in John chapter uh, 8, 18, 21, it says this. Oh, do I have the right place? That doesn't look like what I want. Hang on a minute. Yeah, I'm doing the same verse twice. It's John 15, John 15, 21, 18 to 21. <laughs> I have no idea where it is. It's somewhere in the Bible. All right. Okay, 18. If the world hates you, I'm in chapter 15. I've even confused you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this world, this the world hates you. In other words, it's our association as Jesus followers that makes the world hate us. Remember the word that I told you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you because of my name. Hey, listen, there's a lot of Christians that have no trouble with unsaved people. They get along just great, and the unsaved say good things about them. It has to be it's because they're not standing up for Jesus with their friends. Because when you stand up for Jesus, you lose friends in the world. And they're not going to like what you believe. They're not going to like what you say. They don't like your attitude about what's right and wrong. And Jesus said if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And that's going to happen to our apostles here as they go out. When people make a choice against us, they make a choice against Jesus. And you need to remember that it's not just you they're rejecting. It's, it's your king that they've rejected. In verses 9 and 10, preparations for the mission are not what we would expect, nor are they normal for missions today. There is no deputation work. They don't spend two years going out and raising support for this mission. In fact, Jesus makes it very simple. Um, there's a little bit of the way, the way that Mark says this and the way Matthew says this. We can't tell whether they're supposed to take some money or no money at all. Uh, Mark says they were to take no money. In our passage, it says, uh, as we're looking at that, it says, do not acquire gold or silver or copper. And so um, some people think, well, you could take what you have but not, not get any more, not purchase more. But uh, Mark says, take no money. 
And I think what he's saying is uh, you don't need to stop and get money. You don't need to acquire it. Acquire it. You just need to go on your mission. So God is sending them on a mission trip then with no money and also no money belts and no bags for the journey. What we learned from uh, Mark and Luke, both in, in the parallel passages, they could take one coat, one staff, one walking staff, and a pair of sandals, but nothing extra. So, you know, when I go somewhere, Noel wants to know, well, what boots do you want to wear? And then, do you want your tennis shoes? And you want this, you want that. And so, you know, we, we might take three or four pairs of shoes, and I usually wear one. But I know those are there, so it's just really comforting to know. Well, why aren't they supposed to take anything? Well, because, number one, you're worthy of your food that you need, Jesus said. Number two, it's about trusting God to sustain you and care for you. The worker is worthy of his support. That's what Jesus is teaching. God will supply your need. I want you to go out there, give them freely what you've been given. Here's some miraculous power, and I want you to uh, just let God's people take care of you. Don't be weighed down by a lot of stuff. In verse 11, as they traveled, they don't need to make reservations ahead of time. There's no trip advisor waiting for them to do that. It was a custom in those days for Jews to open their doors to travelers. That was the right thing to do. And I'm not going to look at, look at it right now, but in Acts 10.23, in Acts 18.27, and Colossians 4.10, those are all in your bulletin, uh, what you find out is that uh, the church would often send a letter ahead of time, or they would send it with a person that is the missionary, like Paul, and they would say to, you know, to the church in Colossae or to uh, the church in wherever, accept this man, he's my brother in Christ, he's a good man. So he had a, he had a reference letter. And so they'd give them this reference letter, and they would open up their door. All I'm saying is that it was the, the proper thing to do in those days. If somebody needed a place to stay, you open your doors and you give it to them. So these men are to go by faith. And by the way, there's no such thing as a successful ministry for Jesus Christ if it isn't by faith, no matter what your ministry is. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, I tell people in the counseling office, nothing in here works without faith, period. If you don't have the faith and you don't stick with it by faith, it isn't going to do you any good. No ministry is any good without faith. Do you trust God enough that you could go on a mission like that and not take anything with you? Could you do that? And these are just meager belongings, but they also are going along with spiritually superior power over the enemy. And that's worth a lot. And they will stay with those that are found worthy. God-fearing people. Uh, if that was the way it was today, if somebody opened their home to you, you would hope that they were God-fearing people that you were staying with. Uh, so, you know, they don't beat you up in the middle of the night and take your staff. A worthy house is one where the messengers and their message is believed. When they find a, a worthy family, they will greet them, which carries a blessing on that house. God's blessing. It's a blessing of peace for them. If they prove actually to be unworthy, not believers, then they can take back their blessing of peace. God is in supernatural control of blessings and cursings. Have you ever cursed somebody? Have you ever asked God to curse uh, one of your enemies for you? Uh, I wanted to read something in uh, Proverbs 26. Well, God see to it that they get theirs, you know. The nice thing about all that is that the one in control of blessing and cursing is not you. It's not, it's not a witch. It's not a warlock. It's not a spiritual Christian. It's God. 
it says in Proverbs 26, 2, like a sparrow in its flitting, like a sparrow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not land, does not alight. So you can utter something like that, but if it's unworthy, God stops it. Just remember that sometime when somebody curses you. <laughs> uh, they don't have the power to do that. It's up to God, right? Well, it's up to God in these cases too. But God said if they're unworthy, then they will be cursed. So that's up to God. So in verse 14, whoever of your listeners reacts to you will not, and will not take uh, in a bad way, will not take the message to heart, is to be identified as somebody who heard the truth and rebelled against it. And if they are rejected in a town, they shake off the dust of that town as a sign that they have proven to be unworthy and have rejected Jesus, the Messiah. Should we do that today? I don't know. I did it once. I don't know. Uh, you could, if that's what happens. This is despite the unbelievable uh, power that the preachers displayed at the hand of God. Isn't that interesting? Jesus raises people from the dead. He heals people. He does these miraculous miracles, and still people don't believe him. His apostles go out, and they have this fantastic power. It's supernatural, and still there's people that aren't going to believe them. It is not a miracle that changes somebody's heart. And just because somebody sees a miracle does not mean they're going to be on board. More often than not, that's just some kind of an emotional high uh, that people are happy about, and it doesn't get into the heart. So even though the preachers were offering for free what they had already been freely given, people weren't taken up, uh, all the people weren't taking them up on that. In fact, most of them didn't in Israel. When this happens, he says in verse 15, because of the surpassing greatness of the witness they just received, which is the power of God right in their, in their face, if you will, right in their presence, the power of God, and they see it, and they heard the message, and basically Jesus is saying to them, well, he says to them, on the day of a person's judgment, on the day when Israel is judged, all right, Sodom and Gomorrah will find more toleration for their actions with God than Israel. Ouch. Ouch. Well, it's be like God saying there's going to be more a toleration for the good folks of Smith Center who rejected Jesus Christ than for the Evangelical Free Church out north of town. Ew. Wow. And so we've got to be careful. We've got to be genuine. We've got to be the real thing. We don't want that to happen to us. We don't reject Jesus Christ. I pray that that would never be true of us. So carry the message of the kingdom. That's an eternally serious mission to undertake. By the way, the end of your mission ends when you take your last breath. That's when, you're, when your ministry is over. Cursing and blessing, friends, you have to make a choice. Which do you want? I have to make a choice. We all have to make a choice. One of the things we need to ask, and I'll be done here in a minute, do we have our values straight? Well, okay, what what keeps us from being serious about mission? What keeps us from being serious about the ministries God called us to? Well, because we let the world get in the way. And going along with that, uh, Craig Keener said this, non-Christians often have the spiritual sense to recognize what much of the church ignores. In other words, have you ever had an unbeliever say, you know, 
what you're doing doesn't seem to be what a Christian would do. Or the way you're talking doesn't sound like a Christian would talk. And sometimes unbelievers know more about what we're supposed to be doing than we seem to. And they say things like this, um, that because we uh, are being recognized as doing things that they, they know is wrong, like tacking Jesus' name onto worldly values does not sanctify those values. Just trying to make something holy that isn't holy doesn't make it holy in the Christian life. It profanes the name of Jesus. So we have to be careful on our mission uh, that we're, we're different. We're like Christ as we're ministering to other people. Here's what we can learn. Number one, the disciples' dependency on others for their need. I'm talking about the 12, the apostles in our text. The disciples' dependency on others for their needs gave others the opportunity to join in their mission. Join in their mission. You join in my mission every single day because you put, you, you, you go, you've given us a, a roof over our heads, food on our, on our plates. You've given us the means to get around and the things to do. And so you are joining in that ministry, at least that I have, and in all of our missionaries. And some of you help each other in missions, too, in the things you're doing. And so you're a part of that. <clears throat> Secondly, the miraculous sign gifts are passed. Now, that's my belief. Uh, I believe they've ceased being given out as individual gifts of God. But God can still do anything. That's what makes me different than a, a different cessationist. I, I pray that God would heal people, and if he healed somebody in front of me, fantastic. I'm not going to walk around saying I have the gift of healing, because I don't. But it was God's idea, and he did it. I just asked. But anyway, the miraculous sign gifts are passed, but God's power is still with his mission participants. See, the miraculous signs aren't that important, because lots of people heard and saw those and then denied Jesus. All right, thirdly, Choose to obey Jesus and follow him and embrace the blessing of eternal life. That's what this text is about. And what I mean by that is a life now and life to come. I want you to know that I have to preach every sermon I preach to you to me first. And each one of us has to decide, what are we going to do with these truths? I have to decide, you have to decide. And I'm, I'm really thankful I serve in a church where you love Jesus, and you want to please Jesus, and you're doing something about it. So let's keep that up. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your words of instruction, your words of warning. Help us to focus on the words of blessing and to make that choice so that we can not only hear, well done, you good and faithful servant, at the end of our, uh, of our life, but also we could sense your leading and your power in our ministries to do what you've called us to do, whatever that is. And if we're lagging behind in ministry, if we've let the world uh, take uh, first place, Lord, I pray that you would also bring conviction to our hearts. And I ask that we would change that, especially since the days are numbered. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.